Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. I challenged you. Love one another. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. Confess one another. And then today, motivate one another. How many of us love a great motivational movie? Anyone? Right? Great motivational movie. You have, you know, the classics. You have Rocky, Rudy, Soul Surfer, Slumdog Millionaire. I was actually going to say Blindside, but there's been a little controversy with Blindside. The Impossible, Invincible, The Greatest Babe, right? Babe. The Greatest Showman, Hacksaw Ridge. Like on a really bad day after a really bad week, there are certain movies that we've watched in our life 4,728 times. Maybe that's just me. Or think about this. What about really good motivational music? Eye of the Tiger. We are the champions. Living on a prayer. Whoa, we'll make it. You guys are really boring this morning. We'll make it. Whoa. We're living on a prayer. How awesome is that? I mean, think about this. What about fight song? This is my fight song. It's my right song, right? Think about that. And then old school Miley Cyrus. We're saying old school, right? The climb, right? For all of you who had kids in the early 2000s of like Miley Cyrus when the climb comes on, even me, I'm, I'm driving, I'm crying, it's a climb, right? Like it's like this, these songs, like they just like mess you up. They really mess you up. Funny thing about Bon Jovi, after he did like Living on the Prayer, he wanted every other song to be motivational and they got worse and worse and worse. He should have just stuck with Living on a Prayer. But, but it's so true. We love to be motivated. And we as the church, we are called to motivate one another. Last week, I was so proud of you. I talked about serving one another. And I challenged you in first service and second service. I I said, look around the room. Find someone in this room that God is calling you to serve. And if you don't know their names, reach out to Carly. She'll help you figure it out. And all throughout the week, even until Friday, people were reaching out to us. I had one guy send me a text message and saying, hey, listen, you know, anonymously, if there's a family in church that needs Christmas gifts, we got them. We got them. You tell me, we got them. How awesome is that? And here's what I said. I said, all I want you to do is serve someone. And don't complain if someone does not serve you. Because that's not why we serve each other. We serve each other to be gospel present. Jesus present for one another. And today, Plant Church, I'm speaking to you. The Holy Spirit wants to do something really beautiful in us. Because as people see who you are, who we are, people are going to praise God in heaven. And that's when revival comes. 
And I know when I use the word revival, some people flinch and some people see crazy in my eyes. But I'm telling you, revival is coming. And we, the church, are the ones who usher it in. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you for a simply profound morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you for how when I was writing these sermons, all five of them, there were individuals, mentors, friends that jumped out in my soul that have played such a radical aspect of my life that when I look back, all I see are people that you put in my path. And God, I pray that's who this church would be, filled with people that are spurring, loving, praying for one another, that we would live in the fullness of who we are as sons and daughters of God. So Holy Spirit, use this last sermon in this series to do something beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. So when you look at Hebrews, one of the things you have to realize when you are reading Hebrews, Hebrews is one of those letters that was circulated to every single church. Hebrews is one of the, the books that no one knows who the author is, but everyone wants to figure out that they have figured it out. The reality is, is you don't need to know who the author is, but rather what the author was getting the church to understand and to apply. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Theology, applied. And so when you look at Hebrews, it's such this, this book that talks about the, the, the supremacy of Christ, the divinity of Christ, and then how we, the church, are supposed to grow in our faith together. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, this is what the author writes. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Side note. When God says it, it settles it. Everything that I believe that God has said to me as a young man, when I was a young man, I know, I know in his perfect timing, everything's going to come to fruition. And I have one job, hold tightly without wavering to the promises he has. Because they're coming. They're coming. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. He says, let us think of ways to motivate. That word motivate in many different translations comes up in many different forms. But I love the word motivate. It says it means to inspire, incite, to prod. Who needs to be prodded today? Do I get an amen? Anyone need to get prodded? To excite, to give good reasoning to develop an activity that makes something happen or to make something happen faster. To motivate, to excite, to prod, to insight, to make something happen and in many ways to make something 
happen faster. Again, motivational movies, motivational songs. Why do we watch them? Why do we listen to them? Because, because there are times in our life that something needs to push us, prod us forward. If you've come to the plant for many years, you know that I love horses. And deep down, I want to be a cowboy. Deep down, I want to be a cowboy. But when you look at the word motivate, another translation says to spur on. In other words, to give a nice little uh to the side of another. I was so psyched on Sunday. Uh, the, for, during the first service, I tried to squeeze these onto my boots, and they totally worked. So awesome. And so a cowboy would get on a horse, and he would sit on the horse, and when the horse wouldn't move, what would he do? Boom. A prod. He wouldn't smack it in the face. He wouldn't hit it as hard as he can. But the best means was to hit the horse on the side. Because the horse gets startled. And at the same time, the cowboy realizes that that's a place on the body that he will not injure the horse. Do you ever think about that? Why the side? I, I really think there's something prophetic about that. That we are to come alongside one another, to nudge one, other, one another on, so that we get to experience the fullness that God has in us. When I was younger, I was always taller than everybody else. There's only one guy who was taller in my class, and then I outgrew him. His name was Josh Kitless. And because Josh and I were always taller than everybody else, everybody always treated us older than we should have been treated. You ever notice that? When, like, you have a nephew or a niece or a child that, that's a little bit bigger than everybody else, you put false expectations on them. And so I would have coaches that would put more expectations on me because I was bigger than everybody else. And for some reason, back in my era, the vast majority of coaches, except for literally two coaches that I had throughout my high school and college career, every single one of them believed in negative reinforcement. You see, there's negative reinforcement and there's positive reinforcement. And for some reason, we have believed this lie that if we negatively motivate, we're going to get more out of, an out of an individual. Actually, what it did was it completely turned me off. Matter of fact, by God's grace, I was gifted athletically. And even after my spinal injury where I couldn't play football, I transferred to another college and the basketball coach said to me, he said, hey, why don't you come out for the basketball team? He says, can you at least meet with me? So when I met with them, he said, hey, come on out. I really, I really think you have a, a spot. I'm like, I only have two years eligibility, but I'm not playing. He says, what do you mean? I said, I've already played this game. I literally said this. Every coach, with a small exception for a couple, used negative reinforcement. And I am in a place of my, my life and my faith that I don't need that any longer. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not like that. I said, I don't care if you're not like that or not. But I can't put myself in a situation where you potentially can try to use your negative reinforcement upon me. That was the conversation. You see, when I was younger, I struggled academically. 
very, very much. I've shared that. But it was funny is when I became a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit came into my life, he gave me a passion for the things of God. And I really started becoming a reader. Actually, for one semester of school, my parents are here. I probably shouldn't tell them this. But I didn't go to class for a whole semester. And I used to just go to the library and I used to just read my Bible. Literally, that's what I would do. I'd read my Bible for hours a day. I went from basically like reading words backwards to being able to read, read words like completely. It's really powerful. And then I had two weeks left in the semester and I had to do all my schoolwork. But when I worked on my doctorate, and I love authority. I love being under a denomination. I love having a board over me. But sometimes when you've had negative authority in your life, you kind of flinch every time you see them, right? Do I get an amen? Phil Newell was my writing advisor for my doctorate. And Phil, the first day we met, we were in Oregon. We were sitting outside. He says, I'm going to push you harder than you ever thought. He said, you see, pastors aren't writers. Every time they write something, they're basically giving a sermon. He says, I'm going to get that out of you. I'm going to teach you how to write in the third person, and you're not going to like it. But I want you to know this. I'm going to prod you in such a way that I'm going to do my best to get the best out of you. So it was section three of my dissertation, the writing part before the artifact. And it was section three, and really section three, when you're looking at a dissertation, it's, it's the, what's the big question that you want to be answered? And you need a ton of data, ton of data, ton of it. And I thought I gave Phil everything I needed. And I'll never forget, I was at Becky's softball game, and Phil had called me, and he's like, Rob, you're not hearing me. And he and I actually got in an argument during a softball practice. And he said, stop. I'm trying to get the best out of you. Because there's, a, there's something in you. There's a question that God wants you to be the one to answer. He said, there's something in you that is going to help other ministers. But if you don't trust the direction that I am motivating, prodding you, exciting you to answer, you're going to miss out on what God has. I got off the phone, and I called Sue. I felt such a jerk. I didn't say that. I said, I'm listen to him. I think the Holy Spirit's speaking to him. Did everything that Phil had asked. Check this out. After I turned in my dissertation and my artifact, zero corrections. Zero corrections. I passed my doctorate with zero corrections. Because Phil, uh, in a healthy, godly way, motivated me. And he said, Rob, God's going to use that, that artifact, that, that working document you created for many pastors. Over 900 leaders have gone through it. Over 60 churches. This past Thursday night, I was in Manhattan, 34th Street, working with a church that they were just diving into this material. All because Phil motivated me to see past myself, to see what God wants to not only birth in me, but through me. You see, that's what healthy motivation is. Look what it says. It continues. And this, he says, motivate one another towards acts of love and good deeds. So what are acts of love? Take action. To motivate people towards love and, fill in the blank, good deeds. And so when you see acts of love, 
It's this whole idea of tangible means of revealing your care for someone else. Acts of love, tangible ways to show that you care and value one another. Acts of love, words of encouragement, coming alongside a person in times of trouble, being present for someone who is mourning or sick. Acts of love are simply that holy nudge that push us forward to motivate others to live in their identity of who they are as sons and daughters of God. You see, the holiest thing you can do every single week is when that holy nudge hits you, you respond to it. That's the holiest thing. Because when you respond to one nudge, you'll respond to the next nudge. And when you respond to one nudge, you know what it does for someone else? It causes them to respond to their holy nudge. About five months ago, there was a a man in our church that was really struggling. And in fairness, it was was something that, that had happened. And I knew that he needed someone to come alongside him. And this dude loves working out, and he loves being in shape, and he loves being healthy, and he goes to the gym every morning at 5.30. So I called someone who needed to get in shape and get healthy, but yet was an amazing husband and father. And he's like, I can never get to the gym. I can never get to the gym. I can never get to the gym. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you two to pair up, to motivate, to motivate to get healthy, to motivate to get in shape, to motivate to be the men that God has called you to be, to motivate each other to be the husbands that God has called you to be, and to motivate each other to be the fathers that God has called you to be. It's so amazing. One of the workers at the gym actually comes to the plant now. Pretty cool. Isn't that pretty cool? One of the workers at the gym comes to the plant now. And if you need a trainer, I can give you his name. He says, I see those guys. I see those guys. They not only work out together in the gym, They encourage one another in the gym. They pray for one another in the gym. And as one is getting healthy physically, the other one is getting healthy spiritually. Acts of love and good deeds. And you want to know why that one guy trusted the word of encouragement to go to the gym at 5.30 in the morning? is because other people came around him as well. You, you see, healthy motivation and healthy acts of love and good deeds, they're contagious. You want to get into it. You want to be a part of it. But I love what, what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. He says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are, everyone say it, already doing. Say that with me again, already doing. The author says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you already are doing. You see, that's what I love about this church. All I'm doing is I'm motivating you to continue to do what you've already been doing. I have churches that reach out to me and say, what is going on? There is a pastor in this region. He is the associate pastor who is sending their members to the plant. That's messed up. 
That's unhealthy. I don't know if I want those people. That's a joke. But how bizarre is that? That people are hearing what's going on here and pastors from other congregations are saying, listen, go there. Because you're already doing it. The word encourage means to call to one side, to help, to console, to strengthen. And this is the best part of the definition. To put courage into another. So when we are encouraging someone, we are taking our courage and we are planting, birthing our courage into someone else. How awesome is that? You see, when you turn to John 14, 16, and you can check on this later, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he calls him the paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. Parakletos, to be, to be even more correct. And the word for that means the encourager. Jesus says, I am sending you the parakletos, the encourager. The one who's going to motivate, come alongside you, console you. The one who will strengthen you. The one who will put heavenly courage in Inside you. How awesome is that? So parakletos, encourage one another. Build one another up. Again, think about all the motivational songs, music and songs. There's a problem. All those movies and all those songs that I had mentioned, all were written before 2010. 2010. Do you know how hard it was for me to find an encouraging movie, a motivational movie, or a motivational song that was written after 2010? What does that say about our culture? What does that say about the people that that are around us, the musicians who are literally a reflection of the culture they live in? You see, when, when someone writes a song or someone paints a picture, they're basically painting to the day. Very few artists know how to paint to the future. And see, we have songwriters and movie producers that don't even speak about healthy motivation. Last Valentine's Day, a group of women got together, and I'm not going to name any of them. They all got together, and they were like a band of sisters. You always hear the word band of brothers, but there's like this, this group of a band of sisters. And one of the women somehow found herself in the gathering of those women on that Valentine's evening. And for some reason, they were talking about a thousand different things, and and they talked about faith. And the woman said, hey, I just started coming to the plants. You should check it out. Wow, well, show up. Since that Sunday, collectively, they've never missed. The only time they've missed is if they've gone on vacation. But there's always a representative, and I'm not pointing over there, but somewhere over there. Somewhere over there. And what I love about it is that they've banded together. They banded together to console one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to put courage in one another. And now, they just started a life group together. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Think about that. Encourage one another as you are already doing. 
says, build each other up. It's powerful stuff. I mean, we would all say, like, this is, this is Christian 101. Everything we've been talking about for the last, including this week, five weeks, is, is literally Christianity 101. Love one another. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. Confess to one another. Serve one another. Motivate one another. It's why we come to church. We don't come to church to just listen to you know, music or rob or whatever. We're coming because we want to be inspired by one another. Favorite Bible character, Barnabas. His real name is Joseph the Levite from, from Cyprus. Joseph the Levite from Cyprus. But all of his friends gave him the name Barnabas, son of encouragement. You see, oftentimes when we think about Barnabas, we kind of like kind of bring him in little snapshots, little, little, little moments. And we think about like there's three or four moments that Barnabas was in, in, in the book of Acts and then he just kind of like dwindled away. 23 times in Acts, Barnabas is present. And Paul mentions Barnabas five times of who he is. You see, when the church began early Acts, in early, early Acts, Barnabas found Jesus, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he saw in the early church this, 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 this answer to life and all of life's questions. And he saw a genuine community of people that were truly trying to figure out who they are as sons and daughters of God and what God is calling them to do. And in the infancy of the early church, this is what Barnabas did. He sold a plot of land, a plot of land, and gave it to the early church and said, grow this baby. I don't know if that's biblical, but that's how I'm saying it. Grow this baby. It's the first thing you see about Barnabas. Acts of love and good deeds. I actually believe that Barnabas set in motion what true giving is like. Not giving out of our, 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 our just kind of little bits, but giving out of all we have. And then what you see is you see this guy named Saul who is running around trying to kill Christians. And Saul has this encounter on the road to Damascus where Jesus just shows up and he's like, Saul, what are you doing? And Saul finds Jesus. And he thinks, no one will recognize me if I call myself Paul. I look exactly the same, but I'm just going to change one letter. That was supposed to be funny for all you who are Bible scholars. And no one wanted to mentor Paul. No one trusted Paul. When you actually study Acts, you see that Paul would walk in the room and they would start talking and disperse the meeting. But the Holy Spirit, the parakletos in Barnabas, saw in Paul something that Jesus saw. And in Acts 13, he and Paul went to Antioch. And for a year, for a year, they trained and were equipped, and all of a sudden, the church in Antioch said, we got to send some people out. And Barnabas and Paul, you are going. 
You see, Barnabas saw something in Paul that nobody else saw, a genuine love for God. Remember last week we talked about misaligned, misdirected? Paul's love for God was misaligned, misdirected. But but Barnabas saw that, that this love for God was now in alignment and in the right direction. And Barnabas says, I have his back. I'll speak up for him. And I love that when you see Barnabas and Paul, it was always Barnabas and Paul. And this is what Barnabas did best. Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas had this beautiful gift of going into the woodwork because he never made it about himself. Let me give you one other example about the son of encouragement. His nephew, John Mark, a.k.a. Knucklehead, he and Paul were mentoring John Mark. And Paul, remember, who was mentoring, by mentored by Barnabas, and Barnabas was teaching Paul, see the best in people. Look past shortcomings. John Mark was such a knucklehead, Paul's like, no one can help this young man. Has anyone ever said that about, any, about you or anyone, right? But Barnabas said, uh-uh. I set the stage. I set the stage in you for how you are to love, encourage, build up, see the best in one another. And if you are unwilling to mentor him, then this is what you're going to do. You go your way and I'm taking him. And Barnabas took John Mark and he mentored him and he motivated him and he encouraged him and he built him up. John, Mark, and Paul became friends again at a certain stage in Acts. But what I love about John, Mark, he's actually my second favorite character in Scripture. Of course, Jesus is my favorite. But the two others would be Barnabas and John, Mark. Because when you really study the life of John, Mark, the reason Africa became saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ was because John, Mark left to go reach the world. John Mark, when all the disciples went in this direction, you know where John Mark went? That direction. He said, everybody else is going this way. I'm going that way. And this is what Barnabas said. Go get him. Go get them. You see, that's what encouragement is. It's seeing the best in each other. It's motivating. It's spurring on. That's what God has called us to do. And church, that's what we need to be about. Look what the author of Hebrews says, and I'm going to wrap it up in just one minute. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And let us not, everyone say the word, neglect. In other words, stop meeting together. Let us not stop meeting together. Make sure that we are together. Make sure that gathering is a priority. You see, here's the biggest problem of Christianity, is that when things aren't going our way, or we go through crisis or tough times, we go into a place of isolation. When we need community is when we are going through things, the most, you know, the most difficult struggles and battles. When difficulties and hard times come, we do not lean away from community. We lean into community. We lean into it. Or here's another thing that happens. Everything works out the way that we want. 
And because everything's going down our path in the way we wanted it, we then say, I'm out of community until something happens. And then when something happens, you said, well, I haven't been there forever. Why would they ever want me back? You see, here's what we're called to do. When Jesus rescues us and he puts us into a healthy church community, we stay in that community so he can do his best and deepest work in us. And when we are thriving and we are running and things are going the way that God has planned and everything's aligned, we stay in that community. Why? Because just like someone built us up, we have the privilege, stand up, Eddie, to build someone else up. Chris, come. Maureen, come. And we get to build up one another. I love you too. You guys can come up too. Come on up. No? <laughs> right? But think about it. This is what we do. We stay in the game. When we don't get our lives together, we kind of run away because we've taken what we want. No, we stay in the game so that we build one another up. You see, the biggest tragedy of the church is that we neglect. We neglect one another. We throw each other away. We use each other. No, that's not gospel. Gospel is we love one another as we love ourselves. As Christ loves us. Because we are stronger together. This is so against Western Christianity. Do you know that? We live in such a consumeristic individualism, Christian Christianity, that this is foreign to so many people. But this is early church. If you want to be like the early church, if you want to see signs and wonders, if you want to see miracles, if you want to see revival, if you want to see life change, this is the early church. Love, forgive, pray, confess, serve, Encourage. That's who they were. And my prayer is that's who we are. That's who we are. I love how one of our elders, Rick Lorino, I said, What do you think God's up to? He says, The early church. He's like, I've been a part of a lot of churches. I think we may be touching the early church like no other church I've ever been a part of. How awesome is that? You want to be the church? You want to see this world change? The way you treat one another will change that world out there. You know that? That's the power of the gospel. What is our motivation to motivate? What's our motivation to motivate? One gospel identity, that we would want to see each other live in the fullness of who we are as sons and daughters of God. Amen? There has to come a point in our lives that we slaughter our egos and we want to see each other thrive even more than ourselves. That's an understanding of the gospel. Who is that person in your life that if they exceed you, 
Who is that person? Because if you don't have that person, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Who is that person? Gospel identity. Gospel purpose. Every single person here today, God has birthed purpose in you. Judah, Alora, Becky, Pedro, all of us, God created you with purpose. And the enemy's only desire for you is that you would live in confusion. Because what's the difference between, what's the opposite of confusion? Clarity. Hear what I'm saying? God wants you to have such clarity that you are living in the fullness of who you are as sons and daughters of God. And I love what Hebrew says, until the Lord's coming, kingdom come. He's coming back. Anyone see my eyes get a little crazy right there? He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. And it could be in a thousand years or it can be in 20 minutes. We have the opportunity to usher people into the imminent return of Christ. I got to go to a football game last week. And I'll wrap it up with this. West Point. I love Roll Tide, Alabama, and West Point. Four out of our eight people that were in a gang together in high school, all of the buddies that hung out and got in a lot of trouble, four of us went. Out of the four of us, two of us are followers of Jesus. Matter of fact, the other guy comes here to the plant, Mike Monforth. The other guy became sober 10 years ago because of Mike Monforth. The other guy doesn't realize that Jesus is hunting him down. But this is what I said at the training that I did on Thursday night with this other church. It said, the vision that God has given me is build a church that you would invite every single one of your high school friends to. Because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And you're either going to see him when you die or when he returns, but Jesus is coming back. Come on, anyone get a little holy bounce on him? Oh, yeah. I'm like dancing, right? A little holy bounce. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The question is, are we bonded together to encourage one another, to motivate one another, to pray for one another, to forgive one another, to confess to one another, to love one another so that we would see each other's good deeds? And that the world would see each other's good deeds. So that everyone would praise their Father in heaven. That their hearts go from a shift from a God in heaven to their Father in heaven. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.